beautiful you are listening to episode 70 guys like 70 of the africana women podcast <laughs> listen somebody was telling me that they are so excited for us to get to 100 episodes and i was like yo that'll be huge it'll be huge so i'm excited we're at 70 already chulu is my name i am a writer self-branding coach entrepreneur and mentor this show is the home of african women's stories we share ideas triumphs challenges and lessons from our perspective as women our library is a step to cementing our place in history her story Story, your story is powerful. Thank you so much for tuning in. Welcome to all the new listeners and welcome back to the Africana Woman family. I love you guys. Okay, please hit the subscribe button if you're new here and visit AfricanaWoman.com to become an official Africana Woman visionary. Today's conversation is be- it's a beautifully woven story by Amina Doherty about feminism, parenting in a pandemic and what I would call a a broken education system, right? And when we recorded it, I think I was just coming out of, or maybe I was going into (laughs) a really bad illness. And you will tell straight away that I wasn't like 100%, yeah? But for whatever reason, I was so determined to have this interview, even if I was doing it from my sickbed, (laughs) And I'm so glad I did. It's absolutely beautiful. So Amina is from Nigeria and Antigua. Um, I actually loved just hearing when she speaks. You can hear both of her cultures coming through in the way that she talks. It's so beautiful. And when we did this recording, I think it was in the thick of, you know, most of the world being in lockdowns and, you know, schools being closed um, for physical sessions. But I still believe that, you know, even though, even though now the world has opened up for the most part, there's still spaces where, you know, people are still grappling with the effects of parenting in a pandemic. So I want to hold that space for you here. All right, so please enjoy the conversation. Mina Doherty is a Nigerian Antiguan feminist, artist, and women's rights advocate. As an African Caribbean feminist and women's rights advocate, her work is centered around raising awareness for social justice through movement building and innovative approaches to philanthropy and grant making. Amina's work takes many forms, art exhibitions, community programs, cultural events, philanthropic advising, and grant-making initiatives. She is also a mama, so we're excited to be talking about parenting in a pandemic. I'm so excited to welcome you to the Africana Woman Podcast. Amina, hi. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so honored. I'm so happy to be here with you. Oh, thank you. So I I always start with what is your favorite childhood memory? Oh my goodness, so many, so many. Um which one should I pick? Um you know, this is going to sound a bit nerdy and it's I mean, I don't even think that this is an exciting memory, but I'll just share it anyway. When I I do remember growing up in Nigeria, one of the things that I loved the most was just being out in the garden. Um, and there was um, a gentleman who used to help my mom, um, you know, with the planting and with all of the plants in the garden. And I remember following him around for like hours in the afternoon. And he would be telling me all of these stories about all of the different plants in the garden. And now that I'm an adult, of course, I can, I know that they were the most extravagant stories ever. But as a child, I absolutely loved them. So we would go and it would be, you know, this about the jacaranda tree. And then he would go into some long history about the jacaranda tree and then the seeds of the jacaranda tree, this. And then we would go into this about the bougainvillea. And so it kind of, I think that that kind of spread on my love for plants. I'm a plant lover. 
um, you, you can't really see the rest of my home, but, um, I have plants all over my house. And I, I think that comes from that memory of just walking around the garden, being told all of these sort of really dramatic stories about all of the things that the plants would do. Um, and so, as I said, it's not the most exciting, um, thing, but for me, it's just, it's a lovely memory. Cause I always, I always think of Ibrahim and like walking around the garden with Ibrahim and hearing all of those stories. So, yeah. <laughs> but it's your memory and that's what makes it so special. I mean, I'm even worse because I remember like one of my favorite memories is, um, I've always been a bookworm and during break time, all of the kids, this is in primary, all of the kids are, you know, they're running to go and be first in line at the, um, the slide and, you know, the swings yeah. and all of this. No, 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 no. Chulu's headed to the library and I just go and I lie down. I pick my book and I'm just reading surrounded by all these books. Like, it's like one of my favorite memories. I love it. So Chulu, like fellow nerds unite. I love that. And you know, like I, I, as a mom right now, I'm trying to do this, but I do remember growing up, like one of the things my dad would do would be anytime I'd ask for anything, like, you know, in Nigeria, everything comes in doubles. So we have like chin chin, dodo, Ah, you know, puff puff, everything that is delicious comes in twos. And so, you know, my dad would say, I would say, oh, can we get ice cream or can we get puff puff or can we get this? And he would always make me spell it. And so that's actually how I learned to spell. So we'd be like, oh, can we get popcorn? Can you spell popcorn? And, you know, like as a three, four year old, you're like, mm, spell popcorn. But now, I mean, I try and do the same thing with my daughter. She also gives me that side eye. But like, and it's such a nerdy thing. But yeah. again, fellow nerds unite. Because that's how I learned how to spell. And it's like my love of words. I'm always like, if you if, if that's something you want, can you spell it? You know, and she gets right. so excited, you know? So yeah. <laughs> Oh, so you are Nigerian and Antiguan. So like for some of us who are geographically not really good, where is Antigua? I got you. I got you. So yes, I mean, I grew up in Nigeria. We left there when I was about um, 11 and a half, 12. Um, I remember because um, I was just about to go into what is called first form, um, first year of secondary um, school. Um, and then Antigua is in the Caribbean and it's a little dot. Um, they might not be happy with me when I describe it that way, but it's a little dot somewhere very close to Barbados, St. Lucia, Grenada. Um, one thing that's really important for anyone who's listening to this to know is Antigua is not in Jamaica. It is not it is not the same thing. People say, oh, I know Antigua. That's Antigua Bay. That's in Jamaica. We are not in Jamaica. Antigua is a country in and of itself. 100,000 people. It's very small. 100,000 people. But we are our own country. So, um, yeah, it, it's definitely um, a little small dot in the Caribbean. Uh, so your mom is Antigua? No, we actually came here by chance and by choice. I would say, ah. you know, it's a very adventurous birth. Both my parents are Nigerian. Ah. Um, my mom comes from Potakot, um, PR crew, you know. Um, uh, and, um, then my, my dad's family is from Lagos, um, uh-huh. from outside of Lagos, an area called Ijebu Ode. So mm-hmm. I very strongly identify as a Yoruba girl. Um, and, um, you know, after, after we lost my dad, my mom, um, as part of just like women and travel and life adventure and work opportunity, um, you know, we found our way here to Antigua. She actually had um, friends and community here. And so we moved here um, and have lived here ever since, even though, you know, I have throughout the course of my life traveled further afield and have sort of lived in many different places. I've lived in Canada, in the UK, um, also lived in Jamaica um, and, you know, traveled around different parts of the Caribbean, been back um, to Nigeria for different extended periods, um, but have kind of just stayed in Antigua as home. Um, and, and yet yeah, it's, it's my little small, small little piece of paradise, as they say. <laughs> that is that is so funny because I'm always telling my son like I'm gonna like I'm gonna move to an island somewhere so like it's possible <laughs> it's, so, it's possible and I always think you know 
Um, so there are two things I want to say on that front. It is absolutely possible. Um, one of, I used to write a blog a very long time ago. It doesn't exist. It was in the days of Tumblr. If folks can remember the, the people who are into social media will remember Tumblr days, right? So I used to have a Tumblr blog. And one of the, the tagline for my blog was, um, for a woman to travel as a feminist act. And I got that from my grandmother who, um, you know, my grandmother is from the UK, my mother's mother from the UK, and she married a Nigerian, moved to Nigeria, lived in Nigeria her whole life. Um, and my mother was born in Nigeria. And, you know, I've always learned from my grandmother, you know, the, the sort of the no fear, what it takes to just sort of pick up your life and go somewhere else and move and travel. And all the women in my family have done that. I look at my grandmother who did that. My mother who at, you know, a particular phase in her life also moved to the Caribbean um, when her family was, was scattered all over the world. I look at cousins who are my age who picked themselves up and moved to Australia of all places, the other side of the world. Um, you know, I have a cousin in Australia who started a Nigerian clothing line there called Ulo. So I'm going to big that up on here. Check it out, Ulo clothing. Um, but it, it really is this idea that the bravery it requires, that is required of a woman to just pick up, you know, at any given point of her life and move and travel. Um, you know, it is a feminist act. It is that bravery. It is that, um, it is that just sort of, just gutsiness that it calls for you. And I remember too, you know, when I went to live in Jamaica, I had one friend um, who was introduced to me as a cousin of one of another friend of mine. And, and I didn't know anyone there other than that. And I built community. I made friends and I just decided one day I'm going to move to Jamaica. I didn't, I didn't plan. I didn't know anybody. I mean, then I was young and single and free and easy to do those things. But it was wonderful. And I lived there for almost five years and it was really wonderful. And so I encourage every woman at some point in her life, whether you have children or not, to do that feminist act of being able to move. Um, it is transgressive. It is, it is you stepping out of what is your comfort zone, what is your environment, um, and just doing something brave, learning about different people, um, experiencing different culture, trying different food. It just calls on a different parts of you that doesn't really get activated unless you're fully out of your comfort zone. And, and I want to be clear, like I recognize that people move for all sorts of reasons, right? Forced moving, um, you know, there's that that exists in the world. And so it really is a privilege to be able to have the ability to move places by choice. And so, you know, where that is possible, I really urge women to take that up as an adventure, as, as a dream, as something that they can manifest, you know? I will definitely try. <laughs> <laughs> so how long have you identified as being a feminist? Um, gosh, I haven't been asked this question um, before or in a while. Um, I would say sort of, I became, I would say, I think I've always been a feminist and I know that sort of feels like a cheesy answer or an easy way out. I think that I've always deeply stood for something, even as a child, you know, when, when I felt like something was wrong, um, or, or people weren't being treated fairly or things needed to be different. You know, I've always been very vocal. I remember one of my report cards. My teacher said, you know, Amina is very vivacious and she stands up for what she believes in. So if that's how you want to define a feminist, sure, I'll take it from like my grade four report card, right? But, you know, I stand up for what I believe in. But I would say probably in university, I went to university in Canada. Um, I went to McGill University and that was sort of when I became really vocal about 
self-identifying as a feminist. And I remember it. It was a turning moment. I do remember it because I remember coming home and having this conversation with like, you know, at the kitchen table, dinner table with my family. And they were like, so, you know, what does it mean for you to be a feminist? Which I found interesting because I look at the women, all of the women in my family who have been brave and who have done all of these things as feminists. Um, but that was a turning moment for me. And I, and, and I just want to kind of name two it was a time when I was learning about feminism, but at the start, I was learning about white feminists, right? I was learning about, um, you know, all of these these folks that sort of didn't really resonate for me. And so I was doing my own um, learning and unlearning, also being a Black person in Montreal, kind of kind of grappling with issues of race at the time, being like, oh, I'm the only black person in this room right now who's studying, you know, women's rights, gender studies. This is interesting. And then looking at my course outline and being like, hmm, but I'm not seeing myself represented here. And so I was sort of, I felt like I was doing a double degree because, you know, I would get like the course outline and I would go and read my own things. And I would find and read my own things. And they were there in the library, you know? So I was like, well, why... Why aren't we learning about this stuff? So for me, that was sort of, it was a turning moment because I realized more about who I was and more about what I stood for. But I know this is a long-winded answer, but I will also say that I think that the identity of a feminist is something that is, it is like a process of, constant becoming you are always becoming a feminist like I don't think that you just say haha I'm a feminist that's it the end I think you are you are always on a journey of becoming a feminist and I think that's because you have to go through so many stages of learning and unlearning um I have learned so much even in the past year in the past several months um tied to sort of you know what does it mean for me to understand feminism and kind of tie that to my identity as a mom? You know, like what have I had to learn and unlearn about who I am as a person, who I am as a woman, who I am, um, you know, how do all of my politics connect to this and how I understand, for example, issues of labor and time um, and, and just parenting and relationship building, all of these have been challenged in the past couple of, in, in, in this short space that I've been a mother as just as an example. So I use that as, as an example to say, you are, one is the journey of being a feminist is a journey and it's one where you are always becoming one. You are, you, you never sort of arrive and, and that's it. Yeah, I think, like you said, when you when you when you were having that conversation with your mom, um, or you know the your family, and then you're like, well, I actually consider you a feminist, and I do believe that a lot of women are feminists. Um, they just, uh, I don't know, they're afraid of the title, um, and not really understanding whether it's like, you know, boxing them in a certain way with certain um, stereotypes and things like that. But I do believe that there are many, much more people, much more women who are feminists, even if they don't say, oh, I'm a feminist specifically. And um, I think that's totally, I mean, I'm, I'm totally, not that it matters, but I feel like that's okay. And I always tell people, like, call yourself what you want. Like, we are all in this world, you know, ourselves as beings. So if you want to self-identify as a feminist, great. If you don't, that's also up to you. For me, I always ask, what's in your heart? And like, what are your politics? What do you stand for? What do you care for? What do you believe in? What does justice look like? You answer those questions. And then like, I know, like, are we on the same team? As opposed to like, are you a feminist or not? Because same way that, Feminism is always is a journey to becoming. There are multiple ways to be feminist, right? So there's no one right definition of that. So for me, it's like whether you call yourself that or not, <laughs> you know. Yeah, that's so true. So let's talk about these last. I don't know. Is it becoming three years now? Like, what is it? <laughs> when did um, the dear little pesky? friend arrive in Antigua. 
Yeah, no. So, um, I mean, we've been grappling, I guess, with COVID now for, yeah, it feels like two and a half years, almost going through different spikes and different moments. Um, and it has been such a time. It has been a time. And I think that it has challenged me in all of the ways that I didn't know that I could be challenged or I didn't know that I needed to be challenged. It challenged my relationships with friends. It challenged my relationships with family. Um, it challenged my relationships with myself, right? The fact that um, as someone who has sort of been comfortable with virtual work for many, many years. I've worked from home for a long time. I was like, yeah, I got this. I got this. Like first month of the pandemic, I'm like, yeah, this is fine. This is what I'm always doing anyway. Two months in, I'm like, oh, this is rough. Why? I have all of a sudden my three-year-old at home with me demanding a lot of my time and my attention. How do I cope? Fast forward 18 months in, and assist is tired of, I have reached, I would say, what I feel like is saturation, saturation point of exhaustion. And I think what I have learned is the strength of my no, right? How to say no, how to say no to different things. And 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 I think I've always been a yes person. I've always wanted to do as much as I can do and like build and grow and create. Um, and I remember attending, um, a retreat many, many years ago from an awesome organization called Standing in Our Power. And one of the facilitators said, how good is your yes? What's the quality of your yes? If you never say no. And so, you know, as we transitioned into this global virtual way of work, you know, I saw all of the demands coming on my time. Can you do this? Can you do this? There's this work. There's this work. There's this work. Can you join this panel? Can you speak at this? Can you do this? And because now it's virtual, people assume it's just like, you just have to jump on Zoom. So it's all good. But when you're a mother and you're on Zoom for anything beyond three to four hours, like for your kid, that feels like a lifetime. And so I had to learn how to say no to a lot of people and a lot of things and recognize, like, I remember one day my daughter said, mommy, do you have to do work today? Because I really just want to play. And that was sort of a moment in my heart where I was like, you know, it's also not fair. Like, just because I can work from home, she has been thrown out of her routine as well. Right. She's not in school with her friends anymore. She doesn't have the people she used to play with. It's not fair for me to just say, you know, OK, watch your show while mommy's on this work call, even though I relied on that for so many months of this work. I did have to sort of make time and learn how to just how to adjust and shift and, you know, cut my work day so that. I would be able to spend more time with my kid, reschedule things, say I can't be on more than three or four Zoom calls a day. Like that's my absolute max. Um, and I had to work with, I had, you know, I had to work with an organization that had those sort of feminist principles in mind. So uh, sort of in my work, I work with two organizations. Um, one is called the Equality Fund, where I manage um, philanthropy and grant making in the Caribbean. And the other, um, my heart project, which I work with my sisters, is something called the Black Feminist Fund, where we um, provide grants for, for Black feminist organizations working globally. And sort of centering my work with, the, with those two organizations, but that also themselves center a feminist politic of care, I've, I've had to sort of say, and, and to be in organizations that understand and say, we get it. Like, if you need to reshuffle your day, reshuffle your day, figure it out in a way that works for you. Because this is, this is not easy. And it has not been easy on any of us. And, you know, when you look back at the past two and a half years, you look at sort of the mental health 
mountains and molehills that we've had to go through. You know, I, I call them mental health mountains and molehills because one day you feel like you're slogging up a mountain, like with all of this on your back, you're trying to sort of get up there. And the other day, you're literally in a molehill, you're underground, covers over your head. I'm exhausted. I can't do anything. Right. And and so those are like that has that has been some of the things that I have experienced. I have had an amazing community of friends and supporters and folks who get it. Like after you've spent a day online, I'm sorry, but I cannot be in the WhatsApp group chat. I'm not going to, I can't be there. I'm sorry. <laughs> but when you surround yourself with people who also get it, I feel like that, that's an important thing too, you know? And like being there for each other does look a bit different now. And like expectations change, you know? That's another thing. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you do with the, the saturation and the fatigue because I, there's a lot of women that have been saturated, just like you're saying, you're working, you're looking mm-hmm. after the kids, and then, you know, we're still, maybe somebody gets sick in the house, you know, mm-hmm. and that in itself is, you know, a whole, I'll say nightmare, <laughs> you know? So what do you do with that, um, that saturation? It's like, and then, and it feels like, there's nowhere that you can run to, you yeah. know? Yeah. yeah. No, it's a good question. And, you know, I don't know that I have the answer, but I can share a little bit about some of the things that I do and that I've learned to do. One was um, about just, you don't have to be saturated because A, you can say no, you know, like you can say no to certain things and you can sort of carve out where possible, I'll say where possible, carve out for yourself. You know, what? what is the one thing that I can do today that I will feel proud of if I get this one thing done? And, you know, I'm an overachiever. I have to-do lists that like pages, 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 right? And I have had to get comfortable with the fact that I might only be able to do one thing today. And that is, you know, that is going to be good enough that will have to be good enough. The other thing that I will say that has helped me get through and kind of not feel saturated every single day is routine, is having a routine of some sort. And so the way, for example, that I've been able to deal with my daughter, um, particularly as a solo parent, you know, is because I would I would wake up and I would be tired. I'm like, I can't even face this day because I'm tired. I already know like what work is coming up. So one of the things that I had been doing and that has helped is I don't actually start my work day until 10. And, you know, I, I, I figure it out in terms of capturing hours in the day to get that one or three things done. But I don't start my day till 10 because that enables me to be fully present with my daughter in the morning. It lets me make breakfast, play outside. Sometimes, you know, when the weather is good, means we can go outside, we can go for a walk, we can go for we can go to the beach, we can go for a swim. But something physical and something that keeps my full attention on her. Because I found that if I started the day just sitting at my desk and just you know, she would act out all day long and then I would be burnt out by the end of the day. And so if she feels like I've given her two or three hours first thing in the morning, I find it's easier to sort of, so routine has been really what has saved me and just kind of relenting to the fact that you're not supposed to do everything in this time do one or two things and feel good about those one or two things. Because also we operate in a capitalist environment that expects this labor of us. And shout out to if anyone um, is on Instagram, this, this page called the Nap Ministry, which I absolutely love, which says, you know, like we're not out here as human beings supposed to be just like productive, 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 productive. Like, we are beings who are here to live and to just be part of life. And so that's kind of been a big lesson. Like 
we don't have to be saturated. We, we can choose how much and how little. And I think, and I think the hardest thing as women is to, is to say no, is to push back, is to kind of feel that pressure from your boss or from your whatever, like that you have to overperform and deliver because you are a woman or because, you know, you have a certain position or people think of you in a certain way. And going back to my first point, which is how good is your yes if you never say no? It's like sometimes you just got to say no. And I'm I'm feeling so good about it. I've just, I, I had gotten to the point where I was really exhausted um, about a month ago. And I, and I said, and I shared, I won't be doing any more public speaking, any gigs, anything else between now and the end of the year. And I get invited to a lot of things. And I feel so proud in my email to say, thank you so kindly for this invitation, but I don't have the space for it. And, you know, in the spirit of generosity and spaciousness, I'll reconnect with you next year. And, and, you know, pre-2017, Amina would never have said that. But here I am, and I feel good about saying that, you know? Well, first of all, we are very honored that you just <laughs> say yes. Because <laughs> we could have been a no, and we could have seen you in January or next year. <laughs> uh, I wanted to find out about um, your daughter. Is she in school? Because, you know, the school situation is just absolute insanity and i mean shout out to women who have more than one child you need multiple devices you know it's like you literally have to hire somebody to come and help with that part you know the schooling part the online schooling part and it's just it's insanity you know i, I mean if you have the privilege to do that it's I, yeah I'm telling you, I have not figured it out. We are not okay. You know, like they have this meme where it's like, you know, parents of or mothers of daughters, check on them. They are not okay. I am not okay. And I only have one. Um, but my goodness, it has not been, it has not been easy. And here in the Caribbean, I mean, we have gone through extended cycles of schools being closed schools being open for short periods of time and then you know you know cases spike again um unfortunately we also have and and i'll name it um really um high levels of um i don't even want to call it vaccine hesitancy because i just don't even think that's a thing but you know there's there's a strong reluctance um, in this part of the world for folks to to take and access vaccinations. And so as, as a result of that, schools have been closed for a very long time. Oh, shout out to the teachers, you know, prior to becoming a parent, like this may sound ignorant. It may sound, I did not know how much work y'all did. Shout out to the teachers because this has been rough. Um, and I don't, I don't know that I have it figured out. I definitely, you know, have, have struggled and have kind of vacillated between, you know, printing all of these, um, study, not study guides, but, you know, like coloring books and things on online for you to color and do all of these things to, oh gosh, please go and watch your, please watch the screen. Just watch something, just whatever. Like now there's this great show I love actually that she watches called Ada Twist Scientist and she's really into science and, you know, but, I I just said, please watch your TV because mommy has mommy has this one thing that I have to finish, this deadline that I have to do, you know. Um, but it has not been easy. And I think, you know, as I think again, going back to what I was sharing earlier, it has really shown me how, you know, how much you have to connect the politics, um, you know, your 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 politics with all of the the political is personal, as people always say. The personal is political, you know, all of that. And this idea that women take on so much care work, so much labor. You're doing so much. You're making sure the baby is fed. You're making sure the baby is entertained. You know, at the same time, you're doing multiple work assignments. At the same time, oh, let me not forget that I have rice on the pot. My, don't let my pot burn. You know, like you're doing all of these things and, and it's exhausting. And I think, um, she now, schools have now reopened. Who knows how long this will be for? But it's funny because this, 
she's only been back at school for about two weeks now, maybe three weeks. And I can feel the difference even in my soul, in my spirit. I'm like, you know, you drop off at school and your head feels clear. You're like, okay, I can face this day. I can do these two things. And so for me, it's just an acknowledgement that yes, a, you know, parents, mothers, there's so much care work that has been absorbed that previously unrecognized and, you know, underappreciated care work, but also, gosh, really, really shout out to the teachers who have just really held it down in terms of um, all that, all that they put into, you know, not just sort of, you know, the shaping young minds, but just supporting with keeping children safe, keeping children cared for while parents work, um, I have just learned so much in the past several months about that. And I have so much gratitude. Um, but I think the biggest takeaway for me is that the system as it currently exists has not been designed for us to function well, because if schools have to close and you have no other way for parents to care and make time for this, then the system doesn't work. Right. Then, then, the system as it exists is, is flawed. So yeah, lots of lessons, but Charlie, we're still tired. <laughs> you know what? I think one of the things that I embraced um, was that learning comes in different forms, right? Mm -hmm. So um, when it was at its height here, we were at our family home and there was like a lot of construction going on in the house and things like that. And my son was helping the builders, like he was helping them with building the, um, you know, the shower or, you know, helping out with all these little things. And I'm like, for me, that's education. I'm not going to hold on to the so-called uh, online learning, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, going back to what you were saying about like, um, you know, your yes and your no, I think it's okay. Cause I feel like sometimes we feel guilty, but if you know your child, I think it's okay to be like, babe, you do not like, you know, you don't have to, if you don't, you're not feeling it today, this is not, you don't have to do it, you know, yeah. or, yeah. or even that, you know, like really sticking to the times that we used to drop them off. So, you know, we'd be early in the morning, um, seven o'clock or whatever it is, you know, and then, you know, you're trying to have this child just be on the screen that whole time. I'm just like, no, <laughs> my no. baby. You know no. what I mean? So just give yourself and your child grace in that respect, you know, right. and it's okay. I, I, I really just thought for me, it was just like, listen, learning comes in different ways. Yeah. So like you were saying with, you know, the gardener and how you were, you know, walking around with him, like we have these um, lovely gardens there. So, you know, he was helping out in the garden, um, doing different tasks. And, and I was like, for me, that is education. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love it. I love that. And I mean, you know, the, the reality is, um, and I think it became really, really apparent um, during this pandemic is how much of a digital divide exists here in the region, in the Caribbean. And the fact that, you know, there was this assumption that, okay, everyone would just go to Zoom. And what we saw here is that many children, many homes, like A, there's maybe, there's no, there's not, there's no computer. There's no even shit computer to share. So you're using, you know, parents, cell phones, data is expensive and, you know, how, you know, after a long day of work, how's a parent going to come now, sit down with their cell phone, be trying to do online learning? It's not going to work, right? So there are all of those. And then also just the bandwidth, right? Like, I'm, I love what you said about just taking learning from different places. Because me, I was so happy to finish school. I cannot remember fractions, not that she's at that age, but I can't be sitting down teaching any fractions. There's no way. There's absolutely no way. That's just no. But you know, when it comes to, you know, maybe writing stories, picking up seeds, you know, doing your own little arts and crafts decorations, like that, I feel like is learning. That's obviously the age that my daughter is at. Um, but I think the thing too, is that it requires attention. And that's why I was saying about the routine, like it requires your un, like you, you need to be focused because if you're not focused, especially like my daughter who's three, mommy, you're not paying attention. Mommy, look at me. Da, 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 da. So 
you know, there's that as well. So it's, it's, it's not easy, but at the same time, I love what you shared about, um, you know, kind of coming out of the strictness of time as well. Like before, you know, I used to be with this friend, eight o'clock, this has to happen, nine o'clock, this has to happen. And, and I think giving myself grace, being flexible, um, learning that today is not tomorrow. Today is today. <laughs> you know, people are like, oh, plan for the week. I said, I can't. I can plan for today. Today, not today. That's it. You know? Beautiful. All right. So let us know what are you doing? What projects are you working on? How can people get to know more about your work? And, you know, if they want to support you, what ways can they do that? Gosh, thank you so much for this. I have loved every moment of this conversation. Um, gosh, such good questions. And, what, you know, when you said, we'll just vibe, I was like, okay, let's see. And I love it. I've loved it. Um, but thank you for asking. I would love for folks to check out the Black Feminist Fund, um, which, as I mentioned, is an initiative um, started with uh, some fellow sister friends of mine um, and global community really intended to build resources and community for Black feminists around the world, regardless of where we live, what we do, um, to create a space that is for us, by us. Um, and so um, you can check that out. We're on Twitter. You can check out our website, blackfeministfund.org. Um, you can check me out. Um I'm sort of vocal on and off, depending on life's demands on Twitter. Um, Amina Olayiwala. Um, dare you to find that. <laughs> um, but um, I'm also, um, I would also love for folks to check out the work that um, I've been doing um, that centers grant making in the Caribbean um, through the Equality Fund. And you can check that out through www.equalityfund.ca. Um, we're doing some really amazing work to support women's rights and LBTIQ activists in the Caribbean region. So that's kind of where folks can find me. I do have a website. I tell people aminadoherty.com if you just sort of generally want to check me out and see what I'm up to. But, but that's pretty much where you can find me. Yeah, you are phenomenal. I mean, um, we were linked by a, a mutual friend um, and, you know, she's like, she's amazing. I think you would have a great conversation. I was like, OK. And then I checked you. I was like, yes, this is going to be so good, guys. This is going to be good. <laughs> and so you have absolutely um, just lived up to my expectations. So thank you so, so much. And thank you for taking the time because is <laughs> but I want to just name you and hold you up and lift you up and just say gosh creating a space for us as African women um to just amplify our voices tell our stories um is amazing you are doing magnificent work and we just gosh we are we are grateful um and thank you for creating this abundance for us in the world so thank you <laughs> thank you Parenting in a pandemic has had its cons and pros, right? I think people have been pushed, forced seems so negative, but pushed to learn each other on a much deeper level. Um, it could also be the factor that's contributing to so many uh, divorce cases. <laughs> but you know what? Um, we have also learned our children's personalities at a much deeper level. And I think as women, there has definitely been an, an, um, an expectation for us to rise to unnatural levels unnatural levels. <laughs> to be honest, I think a lot of women reached their breaking point and just chose to let some things fall to the side, you know, and guess what, babe, it's okay. Like it's okay. <laughs> and the more and more that I've been contemplating, you know, 
what we've been learning from this period of our lives that is the pandemic, I think I've been thinking about how broken the education system is and more importantly, what we can do about it. Now, I'm going to warn you, I'm going to go on a rant. (laughs) So education has failed us in so many ways, guys, especially as women of color. We have, I mean, you've heard me say this repeatedly. History is his story. And, you know, women have been erased from the past. You can literally be living in any African country, sending your children to an expensive school, and all they're teaching them is a Eurocentric cu- curriculum. And then, you know, you ask your child, or your child is asking you, like, where is this town located? And you're looking at them like, what are you learning? <laughs> like, seriously? Like, you should have learned this in grade five, for goodness sakes. Um, and I know this because it's happened to me. But, um, you know, as I mentioned in the conversation, I think it is time for us to embrace broadening our spectrum of what it means to be educated. I think experiential learning is a big factor in retention. You know, there's some things which you learned in, 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 in school and you're just like, but what was the point? Like, you don't even remember it. Like, what was the point of doing that thing? There's no retention. Zero, zero. Hi. You know, one of the greatest gifts that I believe that I've been able to give my son is, you know, when we travel around Zambia and we get to see what was, what is like an abstract concept in a book and we, it, it, it suddenly becomes this tangible thing that you can see and touch and experience. You know, like I, I always remember this trip that we went to, um, Samfia Beach and we were driving and to be able to say that, wow, okay, that is Luapula River and those are the Bangweulu, yeah, I can't even say it properly, the Bangweulu swamps and then that's the lake. And you know that it actually meets, it, it means where the sky meets the water. And when you see it, you totally understand what the words mean. It is breathtaking. It is absolutely beautiful. And um, if you can't tell, I, I, I took geography in, in high school. <laughs> so I'm all about geography. But it was, for me, it was such a humbling moment because these are things that I had been taught about. I had learned about just in books. You know, you're drawing to my lines in the book. But to be able to actually see it. It just does something to the soul. Yeah. But if you haven't caught on yet, I am also advocating for local tourism. (laughs) So before you rush to visit the Dubais of this world, you know, um, how about you take a look at what's in your backyard? Just maybe, you know. So finally... And yeah, I have a lot to say about education, but you know what? I shall pick my battles. Like you can't fight everything in one day. Uh, so finally, I think dear Africans, I'm speaking across the board because I, I don't think it's just a Zambian thing. I think it really does happen in many African countries. Um, I think we need to get off, um, our high horses about using one's command of the English language as a measure of intelligence. Yeah, I said it. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) How dare you compare two children and call one out for not being able to speak English well? The truth is, if we took a closer look at these children, you know, what we will probably find is that the child who is proficient in English can only speak one language, Whereas the other child who is making mistakes in English, but guess what? This child is actually speaking five different languages. And I'm not talking about dialects. I'm talking about languages. Clearly, I think our metrics of IQ are skewed. And we we really need to rethink these things. So I guess to conclude, rest assured, the broken education system is not being fixed anytime soon. 
Therefore, it is your duty as a parent to put some time into running a parallel curriculum. And I know, you know, like we're talking, we're talking with Amina about, you know, it's it's exhausting. We're tired, you know. But even as the kids have gone back to school, I really think we need to examine what are they actually learning, and then what are the things that you think are important they learn, because the schools won't teach them. So you have to make an effort at some point, you know. So this could look like one, ensuring your child is multilingual. P.S. The multiple languages they teach at school at all, there's French, there's, 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 what's the other one that they like to do? Spanish, whatever. That's a lie. It's a lie. People don't come out of there. Like 90% of people don't come out of there talking about, oh, I can speak Spanish now. I can speak French. Like, no, we're just like, no, we suffered through it. <laughs> Number two, going on family outings or vacations within your country. Again, so powerful. Three, experimenting, like experimenting at home, experimenting wherever, you know. Four, um, having conversations that are not final because you're dictating what is black and white, you know, but you have to be able to explore the gray area and have conversations around the gray area. Number five, determining whether university is actually the end goal for a specific child. Yeah, I know. I stepped on some toes. <laughs> but I'll tell you right now, not all children need to go to university to do the work they dream about doing. That's just a lie that you've been sold, hey? And it's just there to trap you into paying these ridiculous amounts of um, university fees. Yeah, and then your children now have to pay for loans uh, well into their adulthood. Like, guys, it's a trap. So not everybody, in my opinion, should be doing um, university. There are some things that people aspire to do that don't necessarily require it. But anyway, have a conversation about it. I know I stepped on some toes. It's okay. I they'll, they'll survive. <laughs> so I'm going to bounce now because I think someone's blood vessel is about to pop. But um, I, I'm just going to reiterate this. Uh, it it doesn't mean that if you're doing a parallel curriculum, that it has to be something that stresses you out. These are things that you you weave into your lives, né? like asking the house help to speak another language to your children or planning family holidays around the places that your children have learned about in the school year, you know. Um, so you don't be out there stressing yourself out like, oh my God, this is so much to do. Shan shiny, I'm not going to do it. It's just too much. I got too much on my plate. I feel like you can weave it in. Okay. And it can be such a beautiful thing for all of you. Hey, you guys know that in this community, we give people their roses, like right now, not not later. <laughs> Please find Amina on Twitter at Amina Olaya Iwola. <laughs> this girl, this girl has me, she wants me to do like, a, get my tongue in a twist. <laughs> I, I tried to practice it before I did this. So it's Amina Iwola, uh, Amina Iwola. Amina Olaya Olaiwola. Ha. Huh. Okay. It's in the show notes, guys. So just go click it and you'll be able to find her. <laughs> this is so bad. Yes, but find her on Twitter and there are also some um website links to the work that she is doing. Again, she's such a phenomenal person. Tell her that you heard her on the Africana Woman podcast and say thank you. Y'all know my playground is Instagram, so find me at Chulu by Design. Tag me, tell your friends about the Africana Woman podcast, and let me know what you took away from this episode. I am excited to hear about everything. So this has been a production of Africana Woman Media.